0: They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.
1: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 2.49 dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
2: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10. Episode 10.
3: This is Writing Excuses Q&A with the I Ching. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And we have special guest, Wesley Chu. Hello. So,
0: um, <laughs> Dan's been wanting to do this for a while. <laughs> this is crazy. This um, We thought we we're talking about story structure. We should shake up the structure of our podcast. And try something new, which is one of the reasons to try a story structure method is to shake up your writing and see if it helps you. So we are actually going to do this podcast
3: in a very bizarre way. We're going to use the I Ching, which is Dan. Okay, the I Ching is a uh, a collection of poems, and that you consult with sticks, and uh, you know, in the similar way to a lot of cultures, will roll bones or or you know, do kind of randomization as a way of, of consulting the, like the, the gods or the car. spirits. Exactly.
4: Yes. Chicken entrails.
3: Yeah. yeah, so so the way this works is uh, I actually have an I Ching set that I've had for several years. Of Nate Hatfield, a mutual friend of mm-hmm. uh, Brandon and I, gave it to me. Um, and we, this was inspired by um, Philip K. Dick, who did this exact thing in the writing of The Man in the High Castle,
1: mm-hmm. where uh,
3: he would use, you know, consult the Oracle anytime he needed to Come up with a new plot twist or a new chapter or whatever. So, we decided the way we wanted to do this was literally just to let the universe ask us questions. Uh, we have shaken out the sticks. We're going to shake out sticks. We'll, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to shake out some sticks. I've got, uh, and, and the way they work is they're these little bamboo sticks. They have a number on them that correlates to a poem. We'll shake one out. I'll read the poem. And then the rest of the podcasters will have to figure out what writing question the universe is asking us all right let's go for it give us a stick i have never heard one of these poems before so i'm yeah. looking forward to this okay all right number seven although he reached a great position wise Lu did not care for earthly things he brewed instead the pills of heaven forging immortality in his earthly crucible wow that makes me want to write a story, Howard. Do you
0: know what it's asking us?
5: At one po- what point in my career should I give up traditional publishing and go the self-publishing route? <laughs> wow. I think is I think that's okay. the, I that's, think that's, that's the what, question.
0: Okay, I see. I think the question is more along the lines of: At what point should I stop writing books for other people and start writing them for myself?
2: Or maybe it's just: At what point do I quit my day job?
0: Hmm. All right. Let's answer those. Well, the, uh, the answer to
5: my question is uh, uh, probably uh, when the value of your back catalog and the things that your publisher doesn't want uh, are sufficient to carry you.
0: Or when you feel that traditional publishing you know, is not picking up your books because your audience either isn't connecting with that, yeah. them or is a niche audience that you think you can sell to directly much better than a large corporation can sell to them.
5: When when your audience, you know, is the, what was it, the, the teas of Heaven or something? Uh, the Pills of Heaven. The Pills, pills of, of heaven.
4: heaven. Yeah. Am I the only one that thought about making meth from that poem? <laughs> yes. So
2: yes,
5: we, we know
4: what, what the Pills of Heaven are for Wes. Yes,
5: I Ching. I also enjoyed Breaking Bad. <laughs> Mary?
2: Oh, So um, I would say that when you are, and this is actually similar to, to Howard's answer, um, that when the cost benefit of
1: mm-hmm.
2: having the day job, if you are losing money by having the day job, then you need to quit the day job.
0: Okay. Um, I would say that for my question, um, you know, the, versus writing for yourself versus writing for someone else, I always t- do the whole write for yourself thing. I say that. But I've met plenty of writers who are like, you know, I want to write for an audience. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think it's a question that is more nebulous than a, you know, do I write for me? Do I write for other people? What makes you want to write should be your motivation. Um, And for some people, that's going to be, I want to connect with an audience.
2: Yeah.
3: All right. right, Let's take out another one. Here we go. We have number 21. Marriage is a blessed union indeed. When done in accordance with yin and yang, the dragon and the phoenix coil together, uniting in a sweet dream of love.
2: So I think this one is about genre mashups. Okay. Um, how do you handle a genre mashup, and whether or not these are things that are past their prime, or it's something that is, in fact, a wonderful marriage?
3: Excellent question, Universe. Well, I've... and, and, and mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, you know, the first answer is right here in the poem that it is a blessed union when done properly. Yes. So, what does "properly" mean?
5: And that's the that's the real question here: is mm-hmm. what is the what is the balance of yin to yang in your in your genre mashup?
2: I I think one of the things that I see when I'm and this is something that I play with when I'm doing genre mashups myself um, is that you are by br- audiences like a combination of the familiar and the strange. And so when you when you're mashing up the, those intersections means that the plot is not going to go in directions that they're necessarily expecting. So one of the things that I'm looking at are two genres that are going to play well together but are not necessarily um right next door to each other hmm. in in
0: okay. This is kind of a, you know, date someone very different from yourself sort of
3: suggestion yeah.
5: but not so different that the two of you cannot converse in the same language
3: mm. great I've very seen very those wise work out. um i think the the reason to do a genre mashup you know is a because you think it's going to be awesome but b because there's a story you can only tell if you mm. combine those two genres mm-hmm. you know you you have a, a specific reason for wanting to do a mad scientist in, you know, a western or whatever.
0: Ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> See,
3: I take a different tack on this. I
0: think that most um, stories are secretly genre mashups, and the the way that you know the genres came about that we have is because someone said, "What if I did this over here? What if I took that idea and put it put it into my story?" And I think every story is a mashup of things you, as a writer, have experienced before. Um, so this is more of like when you're going to do it consciously decide what you're going to take and what you're going to leave But those stories that you're describing
5: that uh-huh. sit at the core of what we currently define as genres Those are the places where the yin and the yang where the dragon and the unicorn have found it's that unicorn. perfect unity <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I think that harmony I that I think that was, that was a unicorn it was a it was a
3: Dragon and a unicorn is ridiculous There's no yeah. unicorns in mythology
1: That's because he's
2: doing a mashup Oh
3: Whatever. Okay. I'm gonna New give poem. Here stick. we go. Number 20. Oh, so it's right next to the other one. All names in heaven are unique, and even earthly things cannot be the same. Your future is set within the book of fate, which never confuses praise and blame.
4: Mm. Okay. You got this one? All right. Well, I mean, for me, it's pretty clear cut. It's uh how do you choose character names? Oh, yeah, I, okay. I, mean, I was I yeah. was
2: I was thinking not just character names but also the the problem of naming things in secondary worlds. Okay. okay.
5: How do I mm-hmm. choose character names without telegraphing the character's future?
0: Mm, uh, yeah, that's a difficult one. Because
5: I mean. Darth Vader, yeah, means dark father Ma- in German. Mount Doom? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mount Doom.
6: I wonder if Dopey, that's a pleasant place. Happy, sleepy,
3: grumpy. <laughs>
0: You know we, we joke doc. about this i did this kind of unconsciously when on my first published book mm-hmm. the people are you know we have these cool characters that represent people's names and i looked through during the revision process and realized i'd used the trader's name for the symbol to make the trader's name and i'd use the nice you know one to make the nice guy and the, like it was straight down the line that i just named these things after the characters
3: archetypes in the plot i'm like what was i doing i almost (laughs) let that go to press see i made the huge mistake in serial killer of naming the bad guy crowley without even thinking about alistair crowley which is what everyone immediately thinks of with the bad guy Mm -hmm. it's like oh you named this man after a famous satanist i bet he's the villain (laughs) no i named him after my real estate agent and uh
4: I bet he's a famous
3: accident. villain. Yeah, yes, you
4: interpreted him. this one. Give us, well, give us your answer. I honestly, my, my, this actually drives my editor crazy, but I like to use Twitter. Oh yeah. So, so I mean, I, I know that like I I'll tend to you pick like pick an evil name mm-hmm. for an evil character, and you know, or, or, or vice versa. So, I, I my my thing is I want all my names. I I write in, in, in the modern day world, right? So I want my characters that their names be bland because I don't want to give anything away. And, you know, so I, I actually use a lot of Twitter names. So whatever's on my feed, I, I kind of go through some of the names, and I go, oh. That
5: explains why half your characters' names begin with a hashtag.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's, Twitter yes. Twitter is my secret name generator. Yeah. At Tao is a really great character. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: That's fantastic. I, I used to use my spam filter. Uh, yes. You,
3: know, you get such great names you in there. Do
2: some really, really good names. Uh, Scott Huang in... Uh, Um, Kiss Me Twice is actually straight out of, I think he was trying to sell sell me uh, real estate. Well, it's a great source of (laughs) names the real estate
3: industry.
6: Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered.
1: Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, All right. here, All we, right. Go. here All we go. Here
0: we go. Wait, we got to stop for a book of the week.
3: Okay. okay. Book of the week is The Man in the High Castle by <laughs> Philip K. Dick. <laughs> the Man in the High Castle is, uh, I think it was Dick's first novel. Is that correct? No anyway. idea. You're the Phil k deck. Uh, do right I don't here? know. It won a ton of awards um, and is a fantastic story. It is essentially a, an alternate history and, and one of the first uh, alternate history novels in which um, you know the Allies lost World War II and the United States has now been taken over uh, by the Axis powers. The East Coast is run by Germany. The West Coast is run by Japan. Uh, the Rocky Mountains are a neutral zone between them. And uh, it's it's not as mind-bendingly weird as a lot of Philip K. Dick's stuff. Instead, it's just a really fascinating setting with some really compelling characters in it. So, you can get it. It is read by Tom Weiner. And you can pick that up for free as part of a 30-day trial at audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. right, Howard, you are now allowed to shake the sticks. Okay, shake the sticks and out comes... Number 25, Emperor Ming slew his one true love, but a shaman took pity and eased his heart with dreams of roaming upon the moon, his beloved mistress forever at his side. Mm. That's like a really cool writing prompt, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> is. It's
2: clearly about kill your dar- darlings. Yes.
3: How do you carry- kill your darlings
0: or your characters? Yes. Which one do we think it is? Do we think it's darlings? Or oh no, characters? I, it's it's, it's darlings because okay. I think
5: that hurts
2: far more.
0: Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about killing your darlings.
2: So this is a piece of advice that I think a lot of people misunderstand. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people I have seen look at it and think that what they need to do is go through the manuscript and find the thing that they love most and take it out. Mm-hmm. I've actually I've seen and I'm just like yes. no, no. <laughs> What it means is that when you hit something and you know that it doesn't fit in the story, but you love it so much, so you're tempted to leave it in even though it doesn't fit, that is the thing where it's like, no, sometimes you actually do have to kill your darlings. And that's where the other half of the poem comes
5: Mm -hmm. in. You kill your darling. It's now no longer in this book, but it lives on in your trunk. It lives on on the moon.
3: Yeah.
0: You can um you can identify these by where you are jumping through a lot of hoops to justify to yourself and to your alpha readers and things why this section needs to stay in the book. When you are defending it so aggressively and you realize you're just making all kinds of mental gymnastics why this belongs, you'll know.
3: All right. Okay, here we go. We have shaken out number 31, which says two scholars went to the capital for examinations one passed and stayed one failed and returned carrying a letter from his friend he fell ill but eventually thank heaven came home <laughs> oh. oh wow
0: what's this about what is it trying to ask us
2: rejection letters
0: mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. writing group critiques writing group oh, critiques oh yeah dealing with criticism in general dealing with i think no i, I think dealing with this is a question: What happens when one of your friends has a lot of success and you don't?
2: Oh,
3: in yeah, writing, yeah. Uh, like and, um, this one friend of mine yeah, who's like a mega bestseller. Yeah. He is. I hate him.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I have two of those friends. Three, three, four, four of those friends. <laughs> I I hate them all. Now
0: let's let's ask you this, Dan. We were in a writing group together. Yes. And you introduced me to an editor at a convention. And he bought my book and rejected yours. Yes.
3: <laughs> Which did not honestly bother me a yeah. ton at the time because A, the fact that you sold your book mm-hmm. uh, was actually very heartening at that point. Um, it, it, was, it was very cool to me and I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Um, and that particular book I knew was a hard sell in the first place because mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't as good as it should have been. And it was very weird and very niche to begin with. Um well, and when you came home from the convention you had fallen ill but you lived. That's true. Yes. And I, I did live through it. Um so that was good news. Um Do you have advice? Like it this the thing of the reason I,
0: I pointed this is I you know, people who ask me questions about this, they usually are beating around the bush on it because they don't want to admit it. But professional jealousy is a real thing, like that we all have to deal with when we're like yeah. how did this person's book do so well? Or man, I really love him, but why does his book, oh, they always mention yeah, him. you know, I,
3: <laughs> and this happens, this just happened a few weeks ago at X. Brandon and I had a panel together, um, you know, with like 700 people in the audience, 690 of which were there to see Brandon. And then it was time for Q&A, and everyone got up and said, I have a question for Brandon. And, you know, that does get hard that that can be
0: very discouraging but it happens to to me too there's my story so at least I can pretend to sympathize (laughs) (laughs) we're in um, we're in Spain and I sell really well in Spain we do pretty well Um, you know we've got my books have gone through three or four or five printings, something like that Um, and i had been to visit Spain several times building that audience and I was there with Pat Rothfuss and I knew I had a big audience in Spain and Around the world, you don't always have a big audience. It's not the same as in your home um, country. And so I went to this book signing and walked around the corner, and there was this huge line. And I knew it was my line because at this point I'm like, oh, I sure hope Pat's not going to feel bad. You know, because, you know, he's he's never been to Spain, he told me. And so I, I walked, and then I continued on, and then I saw that they'd turned his line go the other direction because it was like 20 times as long and i got to the front and pat was there grinning held up his book and it said 50th printing granted i've been at five he's like yeah we've sold and he listed a number that i figured out was something like one percent of spain has read his book or something it's just like mind numbing and i'm like really here too pat (laughs) so
2: yeah, I, I will say that I think one of the the keys for for handling this on both sides, when uh, when you are the one who's not having the success, is to actually. It really is important to celebrate the success of your peers because, uh, I, I mean, one, it it's just a happier place to live in. But on a selfish level, uh, if you can celebrate them, they will want to remain friends with you, and can help you in your career, mm-hmm. and. Because one of the things that becomes hard when you're on the successful side is that the things that you have to, you still have problems, but they are a different class of problems. Right. And, and it's sometimes like when I am complaining to a friend who has not yet sold something about, right. Oh, I have so many deadlines. That's
4: such an awkward thing to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so,
2: so it's important to, to on both sides, to, to just recognize that everybody is at a different point in this journey. And just because one person is having success does not necessarily... It doesn't stop other people from having success. The thing
3: that I want to stress here, because I have, you know, being good friends with Brandon and with James Dashner and people like that, I have had these big crises of why am I even doing this? Mm -hmm. The answer to which is, I love it. Mm -hmm. I'm not in this business to sell more books than somebody else. I'm in this business because I love it. And so... You know, once you put it in that perspective, it, it doesn't really matter anymore how,
4: how much more or less successful you are
3: than someone else.
2: Yeah, although I would like the dump truck of money.
4: I mean I also mean, look, like my my cole, you know my my cole likes to say, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So, you know, what, what's good what's good for your friend who's the more successful author is probably good for you too. Mm-hmm. So and, and no one's taking anything away from you. And their success isn't taking success away from you. So. Honestly,
5: I think the most important thing is what Mary already said, which is that it's a better headspace to be in when you can rejoice the success of other people. Yeah. And that's not just professional jealousy, that's you know jealousy over anything. Yeah. You know, learning to learning to be happy for other people is
0: happier. All right. We are way out of time. Oh. But- oh, dear. We are going to let the I Ching give us a writing prompt. So shake that one more time, Howard. Give us a good one. Okay. And here is your writing here prompt. Here we
3: go. Number 44. Competing fiercely to become spring's queen, the garden flowers blossom to their full beauty. Who will win the golden crown of glory? Among them all, only the peony stands out.
0: This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.